If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 9. I know what you're thinking. You're going to think, oh, man, I did this on purpose. I know, but you know what? Uh, I didn't. I had no idea. Even to my shame, I must confess that I didn't see this that was coming until uh, midweek right here. I saw, wow, Lord, look at what we're studying in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is going to be speaking about sending out his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I didn't know this. Someone brought this to my attention that there's 12 of us going to Cambodia. Okay, so this doesn't apply to any of you. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You know, it applies to all of us in different ways. But you know what? To me, I'm thinking, Lord, you love us so much. You're so personal that you would do this for us. And just again and again and again, in his grace, confirm the things that he has already laid on our heart. Because look what we read right here in verse 1. It says, Then he, Jesus, called his twelve disciples together. And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. It's so cool in looking at this um, this commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. Uh, we're going to learn some principles I think that are very important. Uh, whether you're a long-term missionary, a short-term missionary, in one sense we're all missionaries. But we learn things that I think are vital for us as Christians who are called out of the world and yet into the world to reach them with the love of Jesus Christ. May we never confuse uh, the reason we live. It's not for you. It really isn't. When you live life, you've got to live it for Him. And when you live life for Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, man, He will bless your life. And He will grant you even the desires of your heart. Here we see in our text today the, the power in verse 1, the preaching in verse 2, we'll see the provision in verse 3 and 4 and 5, and then we're going to see the picture, the latter portion of verse 5 and verse 6. But first of all, the power. Notice there in verse 1, it says that he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, I'm reminded of a story, I think it was Ari Tori. He said that, um, you know, he was, he was going through life, even as a Christian, and he realized that there was something missing in his life. And, you know, what it was, you know, he put his finger on it, is just, he was not walking in the power of the resurrection. He was not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he did, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do this, but what he did, God led him to do, is to go into a room and to pray and to pray and to pray and to pray and not leave that room until the power of God came into his life. Because he knew, and we need to know, that without God's power, nothing's going to happen. Nothing of spiritual significance. And that's why when Jesus calls the 12 disciples together, he gives them what they really need. They really need the power of God in their life. You know, the word in the Greek is the word dunamis. 
And it means inherent ability, inherent capacity of someone or something to carry something out. You won't carry it out without that power, that dunamis power. It speaks of power by virtue of one's own ability and resources. But here's the thing. It's not your own ability. You know, you know we, all we have to offer is our life. All we have to offer is our heart. All we have to offer is to say to God, I'm a vessel. But he will give you what you need, his power, his inherent ability, his dunamis, dynamite power, in order to carry out exactly what it is God wants you to do. God gave them his power, and it says right here that he gave them his authority. Authority over all demons and to cure sicknesses. You see, God gives you the power to do what you got to do, and then he gives you the authority, or I could say in one sense, the, the delegation, the freedom, to then go forth and do it as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But why does he do it? Why does he give you power? Is it so you can dazzle people, so that you can, you know, impress people? It says right here, though, that he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You might want to circle the word all. That's important. You know, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter if all the hosts of hell come against you. Because the power of God is available for your life to crush them and to really, like the Bible talks about, you know, to bring them under your feet, to walk on water. That's really what we see. And when you look at the authority of Jesus Christ, it says all principalities and powers, they are now under his feet because of what he's done, the victory he's already won. And we can enter into that. God wants to give them power over demons and power, it says right here, to cure diseases. The Greek word is the word therapeuo. It's the actual reversing of the condition of illness itself. Healing at times, and this is very important, healing at times even with the employment of medical treatment. Now, Dr. Luke, remember, who's writing this gospel, he's a doctor, and he knows what Greek words to use. We're going to see later he uses a different Greek word for healing, And this is important, you guys, for us to understand. The thing that we need to know is that God can cure immediately, instantaneously, miraculously. And, you know, that's important for us to know. We've laid hands on people ready to go into surgery. Next thing you know, doctor says they don't need surgery. We've seen it happen over and over and over again. God can heal people instantly, supernaturally, miraculously. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't sometimes heal people over time. And sometimes, you know, we would say, I guess you could say medically, it's still the Lord. And that's the Greek word that we see here. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. Whenever I hear someone getting sick, you know, it doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's a cold. I write down their name and I pray for them. Then when they get better, I chalk it up as an answered prayer because I know that only God can heal us. You know, sometimes I think we take things for granted and you're like, well, he's got a cold. He's going to get better. It doesn't always work that way, huh? Some of you guys, you've had cold for like two years, right? It's crazy, man. These things linger for a long time when you get older and you realize as you get older, you don't take these things for granted. Only God can heal. Sometimes he'll use doctors. That's why it's amazing when you go out to these third world countries and you do a medical outreach. You know, to them, it's God. These people represent God. You come here with a dentist. You come here with somebody who can do surgery on me. 
You come here with the medication that God has provided, it's God. And that's what we see a lot of times in the ministry, and we see it, you look at our prayer requests, so much of what we do has to do with what Jesus is saying right here. I give you power over demons, and, and, and you know, I, I give you power to cure. Now, does that mean that God heals everybody? No. But God will heal as we are obedient to him and according to his will. It's kind of interesting. We even see in our text why he cures. Because look, it says in verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, the word heal right here, it speaks of healing that not only reserves the condition, but it also draws attention to the divine power that performed it so as to prompt those who witness it to glorify God. And that's how the Lord sent out his disciples. He says, listen, I'm going to give you power and authority over demons to cure. And I want you to go and preach the gospel, the kingdom of God. And I want you to bring healing into their lives. You see, all this is intended, and we see it within the Greek language, to glorify God. And it's important for us to have that in our hearts. You know, the Lord uh, sent the 12 disciples. And it's kind of interesting when you look at this right here, because in verse 1, it says he called his 12 disciples together. Now, I don't want to read too much into that text right there. But I do understand that, you know, when it comes to, you know, being a missionary, whether it's in your neighborhood you know, in your uh, biological family, whether it's on the other side of the country, I do know this, that the preparation for that and, you know, what we need, I guess you could say, the education for that is just, you know, being with the Lord. You know, going to seminary is great, you know, if it's a good seminary that will teach you the Bible. But understand that the primary qualification for us ministering in the name of Jesus Christ is spending time with him, is learning about him, is to getting, you know, to know him. Because like I always share with you guys, you get to know him, you get to love him. And when you love him, it's then that you'll obey him. And when you're called together and you're with each other as a team and you're with Jesus and he's teaching you and he's leading you how to live life, it's then that you're able to minister to his people. They're not ours, they're his. And that's why that's very important. You know, we have uh, one of the guys on staff, Henry's on staff now. And, you know, it's kind of cool. The comfortable thing I feel about that is that if anybody was to call here and, you know, ask for counsel or whatever, you know, I know that Henry has a heart for the people and that he will tell them the same counsel that I will tell them, probably even better. And that's the way the Lord wants it to be. If the person right here who's hurting, who's struggling, who's whatever condition they're in, they're lost in their sin, if they went to Jesus, what would Jesus tell them? And so when they come to you, you're supposed to just tell them what Jesus would tell them. You see, that's the heart that we have to have. And that's why when the Lord first called his disciples, his apostles, they spent all night in prayer, and it says he called them to himself. He called them together. Right? So that they can learn how Jesus lives, how Jesus loves, how Jesus works, how Jesus ministers. And then it says right here that he sent them out. 
He called his 12 disciples together, gave them power, dunamis, and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases, and he sent them to do what? To preach the kingdom of God. The word sent in the Greek is the word apostello. You'll never guess what English word we derive from this. <laughs> you guys know, huh? It's apostle, right? And it means in order for one to go, in order, uh, it means to order one to go to a place appointed. It means to send away, get out of here, dismiss. <laughs> it means to send out as an official or authoritative representative. It doesn't always speak of an apostle by office, such as the 12 apostles formally, but it does speak of an apostle by function given to those who are going by the grace of Almighty God. You know, and it's important for us to know that as, you know, saints, we are sent. You know, and you look at the cores of who we are, that's one of the cores of who we are as Christians. We are sent Christians. We see that over and over again when we read the Bible. A really neat text, if you want to turn there, is over in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, look what it says in verse 21. It says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by Father God, who then sent the people of God to a lost and dying world. And I just really pray, and I don't know, I know some of you here, you're, you're really, you know, in tune with this, but I would have to guess that most of you are not in tune with this, because that's just the way it usually works in the church. But you pray that things would change. You pray that every single person here, every single individual would catch the vision that we are not here, you know, to stay in our little cozy Christian bubbles. We are not, you know, to have the mentality that, you know what, I don't, you know, go outside and touch the outsiders. You know, like I said earlier, we're, we're in the world. But we're not of the world, but we got to reach the world. And that's why... The way that we're supposed to live life, really, I mean, I know it sounds pretty radical, but it's real. Everything we do, everything must be, you know, based on how is this part of God's sending me with a message? Because that's why you're still here. You're still here to be a servant. You're still here as sent saints of Jesus Christ. You know, some will go to Cambodia. Some will go to different places. Some will go to... You know, Almani, some will go around the block, you know, but, you know, some are going to go to Jack in the Box. I don't know, man. God's going to send you out. And every day you have to ask the Lord, Lord, where am I going to go today? Who will I tell about Jesus today? How can I shine for my Lord today? Who's hurting? Maybe someone in prison, maybe somebody who's sick. And we ask the Lord to lead our life. We are sent with a message. How would you feel, just out of curiosity, if the message that you sent never made it to its destination? How would you feel? Let's just say, for example, you wrote out the check and you made your house payment, right? You put it in the mail, but it never got there. 
How would you feel if they then sent you a little letter that said that got to you and said, you owe 50 extra dollars? I'll bet you, because I know how much of a sinner you guys are, I'll bet you you get mad at your mailman, huh? You go slap him around and say, hey, what would you do with my bill, right? I mean, because he didn't, he didn't come through with this responsibility to deliver the, the message, to deliver the mail, right? I mean, how would you feel even, you know, for us here today, if your text message never went through, your email got lost in cyberspace, wouldn't you question your, your carrier, your email carrier, your cell phone carrier? You see, we as Christians expect that which was sent to be sent accurately, faithfully, and obediently. And the bottom line is that's God's heart too. You know, you read the Proverbs and he talks about the faithful messenger. And that's how it is with the Lord. Jesus says right here in John 20, 21, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You know, some Christians, unfortunately, they take that peace they've been given with God and from God, and they just hold it to themselves. You know, I think that we need to catch the vision, you guys, and we need to awaken to the responsibility and the privilege that we have to be ambassadors, to be apostles with a small a of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think of Isaiah chapter 6. If you would, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 6 is a great text for us because I think it deals not only with being sent, but it deals with how can I get there. Because, you know, a lot of times, and the bottom line is this, you know, people don't feel it. And I'm not saying that you always got to feel it. Sometimes you got to walk by faith and not by sight. You're not going to feel it. But usually when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart, usually when you're a healthy Christian, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. You're going to cry. You're going to ask God. You're going to pray. God, what do I do? What do I do? Because the Lord works in you. Because you understand really what's going on and why this world is spinning. Why you still have breath. Why God's keeping you alive. Isaiah 6, it gives us the picture. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Here we see Isaiah gets... Uh, man, what an awesome, you know, vision to see the Lord high and lifted up. Do you see the Lord like that, you guys? Do you see him high and lifted up? You know, sometimes it happens in the year that King Uzziah died. You know, we don't know for sure, but maybe Isaiah, you know, had this, you know, pedestal that he put Uzziah on, the king, and, and God had to take him away before he could really see who the Lord was. We don't know for sure, but we know that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he saw him there, I don't know, man, it must have been so amazing if you think about it. 
You know, the train of his robe, it filled the temple. The train speaks of the glory, right? The glory of God. It just filled the temple. And these creatures, these seraphim with six wings, flying around, covering their eyes, covering their feet, flying, crying out to one another. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And as they cried out, the doorposts were shaken. And this man, the whole place was filled with the Shekinah glory of God. And so what happens when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? What happens? Well, we read here in verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said when he saw things clearly, I deserve to go to hell right now. He said, my name should be blotted out of the book of life. I don't deserve to live. I am undone. And so is everyone else. You see, that's what happens when you understand the Bible. That's what happens when you see the Lord accurately. You see him, you see you, you see them. And you realize that everyone deserves to die. So you're not going to go out, you're not going to have a heart until you understand that. But see, the cool thing is the Lord didn't leave it there. That's true, you guys. You know, none of us deserves to live. If God judged us all right now, it would be justifiably so. No one deserves to live. Some people ask questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people, right? Not one. But the cool thing is the Lord didn't leave it like that. Because we read in the next verse... It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Wow. Here I am, as guilty as guilty can be. Here I am, deserving to die. But God steps in. He takes the coals from the altar, from the altar of the sacrifice of his son. And he takes the blood and he washes away all my sins. You see, that's what the Lord has done if you're a Christian. And you know, you're not going to have a missionary heart until you see that. But now it's a cool, man. The Lord does the work. God meets Isaiah's need. It's so cool. But then look what we read next. It says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. You know, when I read this right here, To me, it's so clear. That God 
met Isaiah's need. And now Isaiah wants to meet God's need. Now, I know it sounds a little weird. You're like, no, God doesn't need anything. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't want to go overboard with that. But in a sense, he does. Can you hear God saying, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Because he still says that. And he's still looking. Because the truth is, most Christians won't go. A lot of you guys, a lot of times, a lot of Christians, you know what? They're doing good, but they're just not absolutely surrendered. Some of you are, but many of you are not. You know, like, I'll do everything for God except that. And you make reasons and excuses, and God is just looking for people who say, you know what? I am 100% available to you, God. Here am I. Do whatever you want to do with my life. Because my life is not my own. You see, and the Lord will then send you. And that's what we see right here in Isaiah. There's an interesting verse. If you want to go over to Ezekiel 22, because I want you guys to see this. Look what it says in Ezekiel 22. In verse 30, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in this manner of your fathers? Am I in the right verse? No, I'm not. Okay, thank you. Ezekiel uh, 22. All right, here we go. Verse 30. It says right here, So I sought for a man among them, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Now, does that trip you out? Because it trips me out. It does. It's like the Lord is looking for somebody to stand in the gap, to make a wall, so that he wouldn't judge the city. And so he found no one. Now, most people, most you know, Christians even, would say, well, God will take care of it somehow, right? If he wants to save the city, you know, he'll raise somebody up and he'll do it. But look what we read next. It says in verse 31, Therefore I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. And whenever you read the Bible, there's always that you know, mysterious friendship of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And one thing I've learned is that you can't lean too far in either direction because the Bible teaches both. And all I know is that when I read this right here, I see that the Lord looked around the whole world and he could not find one man. And so he judged the city. And so in reading that right there, I just want to encourage you. Don't underestimate your life. You. 
might be that one man, that one woman. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's why right now, wherever you're at in life, you have to stop and examine your life. Are you absolutely surrendered to do whatever it is that God's calling you to do? Very important. Because when we read this right here, we see that that's what missions is all about. You know, back in Luke, in verse 1, he called his 12 disciples together. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And as you read the Gospels, and for you guys, when you go out, you got to know the order of things. It's always preaching and teaching and then healing. It always is in that order. And here we see them preaching. Jesus wants them to preach. The Greek word caruso means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, to proclaim openly that which has been done. In other words, to tell everybody about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To tell everybody what he's done there on Calvary, there in your hearts. That's a herald, right? It's always with a suggestion of formality, gravity, and authority which should be listened to and obeyed. You see, they were sent to preach the kingdom of God, undoubtedly, wholeheartedly, simply passing on the things they've learned from their Lord. For them, it would be up to this point. You know, they didn't have 1 Corinthians 15 yet. But for them, you know, they had heard the Sermon on the Mount. For them, they had heard... You know, the different parables in Matthew chapter 13 for them. They had heard things up to this point. And whatever it is you've heard up to this point, maybe you don't know everything, but you know something. Jesus Christ, your teacher with a capital T, has taught you something. And you go out into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys, into the friends and families and relationships, wherever you're at, your work, you do a work, and you tell them what Jesus has taught you. Simple. You see, that's what God wants us to do. Regarding the the kingdom of God, you know, when I think of the kingdom of God, I always think of the king first. Tell them about the king. Tell them about the great king. Tell them about citizenship in the kingdom and how a citizen should live and what God can do, how God blesses those within his kingdom. You see, that's what we do. I think a lot of times we're caught up in our own kingdom. And a lot of us here, we've got to take out the spiritual scalpel and just remove many things in our life that do not belong. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about doing God's will. You know, we read of them here preaching of the kingdom of God and healing And, you know, we need to take this literally. Make sure we don't think that God doesn't miraculously heal anymore. But as I mentioned earlier, this would also file right in line with the medical outreach. Because it's not only the signs that validate the message, it's the love. And why would you travel so far for me? And you tell him, well, it's not my love that would move me. It's God's love. And you begin to tell them. And 
You know, you go to different places. Every other religion in the world, they don't know what love is. They don't know a God of love. But we do. And that moves them. As we go out in the highways and byways, praying to be used by God to bring people into what? A right relationship with God. Because when you look at that right there, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I know it's, you know, physically. I know that God heals physically. But also, for those of you, you know, you've been Christians for a while, it's more than that, huh? How God heals the hearts, huh? How God changes lives, how God sets people free, how God heals the sick. It's an amazing thing when you realize that. You know, many of you here today, you know, you've been healed, huh? And, you know, the way that it works, and, you know, one of my dear brothers, he shared this with me. He said, hurt people, hurt people. You know, that guy over there, you know, he's hurting people because his dad was never there. Now, I'm not making an excuse for him, but it seems to work that way that hurt people, hurt people, but healed people, heal people. That's the way it works. And God has healed you. God has healed your marriage. God has healed you of your addictions. God has healed you of, you know, thinking that no one loves you and then you find out that God loves you. He's healed you. What's the next step? Heal others? Why wouldn't you? Why would you hold it in? Why would you not want to help others? See, that's what the, the kingdom of God is all about. We get so caught up in so many other things that are really a waste of time. Oh, it's permissible, it's permissible, it's permissible, Manny. You can't tell me it's sin, but it's just not profitable. It has no spiritual benefit to our life. And here we are, people with so much potential to reach others, playing. And not praying. We don't have the heart. And God, you know, he, he just speaks to us and he says, this is what I want to do. You know, you're, I'm not a 12 and apostles. I'm not one of the 12 apostles. But I am with a small A and I know I'm sent somewhere. I don't know where. I mean, I'm here in Almani. I thank God for his grace. We'll go to different places. Some people will go for a long time. Some will go for short term. Some of you here, you don't, this is why you got your job. You think it's because you went to school or you think it's because, you know, your, you know, your grandpa got you the job or something, you know, and it's really not. God got you the job so that you can be a missionary right there where you're at. And yet you don't want to speak. See, God wants to use our life. As you go out in the mission field, we see, first of all, the power, and then we see, secondly, the preaching. Look at the provision in verse 3. He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread for money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. In other words, stay there until you're all done. The NLT says, Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. What's the Lord teaching here? Well, he's teaching them, I think, a, a lot. Number one, to, to travel light. 
Um, that's one of the things he's teaching them and us to travel light, to lead simple lives, to lead simple lives. But the primary thing I think he's teaching us there is that he will be the one providing all of our needs, right? Philippians 4:19, Paul said that, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ's glory. What we see right here is the Lord will provide everything that we need. Like I share with you guys, not all our greeds, but all our needs, right? Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'll never lack. And that's the beautiful thing that we see in life. You know, when looking at this right here, it's also very important for us to know that this is a lesson to learn and not a rule to live by. Because later in Luke chapter 22, verse 35 and 36, he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, Nothing. And then he said to them, But now, he has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack, and he has no sword, let him sell his garment and, and buy one. And so this would not be something applicable to all their future missionary endeavors. What he was trying to teach them, first of all, right off the bat, from the very beginning, an important lesson that he would provide for them. And that way, later on, when they do bring their stuff, when they do, you know, earn some money and, you know, work and pay for things themselves, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was not their own hand who had provided for them. And that's the way it works in life. See, God wants to... Tell us, you know, the big things that he's the provider, that he's the protector, that he's the savior, that he's the healer, that he's the conqueror. And then we can go out and and, and work as hard as we have to, knowing that it's still all God. As a matter of fact, that's what we see when the children of Israel went into the promised land. Remember, you guys remember how they conquered Jericho? Think about it, man. They walked around the city the whole time. They did that once for six days. This is your battle plan. And then on the sixth day, I want you guys to march around the city six times, seven times. And then what I want you to do is I want everybody to scream like crazy people. And then the walls are going to fall down. Right? And that's exactly what happened. They conquered the city that way. Now, when they went to their next city, they didn't do it that way. And the city after that, they didn't do it that way. When they went to Ai, when they went to battle, they fought hard, bloody, sweat, and tears hard. Because God had already established that he was the conqueror and not them. So you have this understanding, God giving the, just the provision for them. You know, so that, does that mean that we don't work and... No, that's not what that means, but it means that we need to know in our heart who's really doing the work. And it's so cool, you know, for you guys, for us as Christians, just to always know those important things. You know, I was thinking this morning when I was praying, Lord, apart from you, I can do a whole lot of nothing. Amen? I mean, really, amen. I mean, (laughs) I can do a whole lot of nothing apart from you, right? But, Lord, I can do anything and everything you want me to do in your strength. And when we really have that deep within our hearts, you're usable now. 
you're usable. And the more deeper it's in your heart, the more usable you are. The less it's in your heart, the less usable you are. Because you're thinking, well, I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty good and I'm, you know, buff and I'm handsome, you know, and I have experience. And you just go on and on. I'm so gifted. And God says, what are you talking about? I can use a donkey. (laughs) Right? I can even use a jawbone of a donkey. And then you realize, Lord, it's all you. And he'll provide. And he does that time and time again. I can't even tell you. The many ways in my life that God has just blown me away with his provision. And we need to know that. You see, we see the power. Don't leave home without it, man. We see the preaching, how vital that is. We see the provision. God's going to take care of us out here as we go and take those steps of faith. And then we see an important picture in verse 5. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So you go to a city, you go to a person, and they don't want to hear it. You know, sometimes I'll go up to someone and I'll say, here, you know what, I just want to give you a, a little invitation to church. And I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want it. Sometimes they're even you know, worse than that. They're meaner than that. And so what happens in your heart? A lot of times you're like ashamed. They rejected me. Or sometimes uh, you get discouraged. Uh, sometimes you even feel sorry for yourself. But God says, don't feel sorry for yourself. Um, feel sorry for them. Don't even get mad at them. Let your heart go out to them. And what you need to do, though, is you need to finish it the right way, when you're leaving the city, shake off the dust from all the dust that's on you. Shake it off as a public testimony to them. And what that would be, believe it or not, is a last-ditch effort to save them because what you're saying by shaking off the dust is you are going to be judged by God. And you don't want any of that dust on you. It's a final warning. See, that's the way it works. You know, you go out and you reach out and you tell people, you, you know, the love of God, the grace of God, the salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, and you're planning and you're, you know, you're doing all these things, you're watering. And, you know, it, it, in, in the end, when they don't want to hear it, at least somewhere in the message, but if at the end they don't want to hear it, make sure you don't leave without warning them that whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder, the Bible says. Now, which would you rather be? (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'd rather fall on the stone and be broken of who I am than for have that stone fall on me and be ground to powder. You see, and you've got to warn them. If you want to be a true missionary, if you want to be a faithful ambassador, messenger of Jesus Christ, you've got to tell them about the love. You've got to tell them about heaven. But you've got to tell them about the holiness and you've got to tell them about hell. Don't be afraid because that right there is God's last ditch effort to save their soul. 
And so the Lord gave him the mission. And I love what we read in verse 6. And so they went to Starbucks. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. It says, So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing where? Everywhere. Wow. Awesome, awesome obedience. You know, like I said, some are called long-term. Some are called short-term. I encourage you. Do a short-term missions trip, man. I, I always get tempted to say, you young people, go on a missions trip. But, you know, I, I think the Lord has taught me, no, you old people, <laughs> go on a missions trip. And I'm now talking to myself, right? All of us, if you can, you know, swing it somehow, man. Go on a missions trip. You know, see a little bit. Just make yourself available to God. And, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form, we're all missionaries. But we just have to get with the Lord, and I always call it the divine details. Lord, where will you send me? And then we go. We, we depart, and we go and preach the gospel. You know, recently we studied the book of Romans in, in a Bible college over at Calvary Chapel Downey. And it was a really cool class. For most people, you know, in just like a first uh, thought about the book of Romans, they would say, oh, that's Paul's great theological treatise, the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. And it is. It is a masterpiece on the doctrine of salvation. But, you know, in, in looking at the book of Romans from a very practical standpoint, what I see is Paul, the missionary. I see Paul saying, yeah, it's a great doctrine of salvation, but use it. Use it. Tell people about it. Go out into the highways and byways. Why? Because they're, li- they're dying. And as we were studying the class, it was kind of cool. We went over this one uh, missionary. Um, he's got four points. And I want to just close real quick with these four points. And since we're limited on time, I'm, I'm just going to give you uh, the points, you know, why why be a missionary? <laughs> you know, and by that, of course, I mean wherever you're sent, you're all missionaries. Can you guys say that? I'm a missionary. Can you say that? I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to brainwash you or anything. I just want you to, to admit it. You are. Because I know some of you here, you're thinking, no, not me, Manny, because I'm messed up. Well, yeah. Join the club. You're messed up. Repent. Today, repent, surrender, and be what you were made to be. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer, an old believer, a medium believer. It doesn't matter. You're a missionary. That's what God wants to do. It's the greatest privilege in the world. And I always tell people, I say, you know what? I love to teach I love to to be a pastor. I love to be married. I love to be a father. All the things and just amazing things that I have in my life. But for some reason, there's nothing like preaching the gospel out there in the streets. There's nothing like that. And I just can't explain it. But other than just saying, I know that's what God wants us to do. Isn't it cool, you guys, when you invite someone to church and you know they're hurting and you know they're dying? To have that honor, to have that privilege, just tell someone about Jesus. That's what we're made to do. 
And so this guy, this missionary, came up with four points. He said, why be a missionary? Number one, the command from above. The command from above. Jesus Christ gave the great commission, go. A lot of times people say, no. God says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Circle that word, all. Matthew 28. So it's first of all the command from above. Secondly, the call from without, Acts chapter 16, where that man from Macedonia said, come and help us. Don't you think there's people in this world who don't know Jesus Christ, who are calling, who are wondering, why do I have this emptiness inside? And they know they need God. You see, first the command from above, then the call from without, then the cry from below. The cry from below. Right now, there's people in hell who might be like that rich man in Luke chapter 16 who are, you know, I don't know if they can pray in hell. I don't know how it works. But I do know that that man said to Abraham, send someone to my brothers. The four brothers, that they don't have to die like I do. There's a c- command from above. There's a call from without. There's a cry from below. And there should be a constraint from within. And we see that over in the book of Second Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 14. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. And that, that's a constraint. It surrounds you. And in one sense, most people will tell you, it corners you. And it really just kind of leaves you with no other option when the love of God gets a hold of you. And if you don't have that desire, if you don't have that drive, if you don't have that, that leading of the Holy Spirit in your life to share the Lord, then it's because you're not really in tune with the love of God and the life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when that cross becomes clear, and when that love, God's love, floods your heart, you cannot help but do anything else. You say, you know what? I got to preach. I got to share. You know, lest, lest I die. And I think that was Paul's heart. And I think that that's got to be our heart as well. You know, the Lord can do the work. Just let him speak through you. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Um, as a church, with individuals that are here, you know, you have to ask the Lord, you know, what are the details for my life? God, I know you're sending me somewhere. Where do I go? Some of you already know that. Uh, some of you, you know, you don't know yet. God leads us one step at a time. But make sure that you understand that this really is what life is all about. Make sure that you understand the heart that's required in order for God to, to do a work. I'll close real quick with a with a, actually, it's an illustration that I used yesterday in the study. We had the men's conference over at Monrovia, and it was kind of cool. 
Um, have you guys seen that movie Secretariat? Any of you here seen that movie Secretariat? How many of you are saved? One, two, three. One. I'm just joking. It's not that good. <laughs> but anyways, it's a story about this horse that uh, I don't know for sure. I, I know that it was the first horse in 25 years to win the Triple Crown. I'm not sure if there's been a horse since that's won. I know there are records that this horse uh, still has. It was just a beautiful, amazing horse. How many of you guys go to the racetracks? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I'm just joking. I wouldn't ask you guys to admit that, sinners. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyways, you can watch them on TV. I'm just joking, you guys. Listen, man, well, the thing about it is this, man. This horse was incredible. And we were talking about running the race and finishing the race, running with not only speed but stamina. And that's what this horse had. As a matter of fact, one of the races it won with the Belmont Stakes, it won 31 lengths ahead. It just blew the other horses out of the water. It was amazing, right? But the explanation for it was this, that when they did an autopsy on that horse, they found out that this horse had a heart twice as big as any other horse. You know, the trainer would say that he knew it because he could see the nostrils just flaring when the horse ran. And I think that that a lot of times that's what's wrong with us, you guys, is our hearts are not right before the Lord. You know, we need to ask God, and the Bible says he'll enlarge your heart. The Bible says he'll cleanse your heart. The Bible says that he'll give you a new heart. And so I pray that today, man, we would ask the Lord to work within, to meddle with the middle, knowing that the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart, not a superficial thing, not an artificial thing, but a real work of God deep within us, believing in God, believing in him. We're not playing church. This is the kingdom of God. Souls are at stake. and God is waiting for every single person to absolutely surrender everything to him. And that's where we need to be. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life. I thank you, Father, so much for allowing me, Lord, to experience your grace. And Lord, even just to know, Lord God, today that you're with us in such a special way, you love everyone here. I know, Lord, that everyone here is in different places. And I pray you minister to them. But I pray especially, Father, for anyone here who doesn't know you, anyone here who's dead in their sins, headed for hell, anyone here, God, who's been playing church, they're just not really saved. Father, I pray you would just awaken them, breathe on them, let them know that going to church doesn't save you. We must repent of our sin and receive Jesus Christ today as our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd work in every heart and that, Lord, every heart would turn to you today. We love you so much, God. We pray the great Savior, the great King, Lord, our lover of our life, that you, Lord, would work the necessary work in every single heart here today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.